Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fugazi. And joining me today to discuss Strange Light from the 2001 album The Argument, this is a huge deal. He's an artist, audio engineer, stagehand, roadie, chef, and multi-instrumentalist who has played with many bands, but most importantly for this podcast, it's the fifth Fugazi himself, Jerry Busher. Welcome, Jerry. How are you, sir? You know, uh, as answer that question as we all do when you say, how's it going? It's like, well, relative to everything happening, we're I'm doing well. Yeah. Been lucky, you know, stayed healthy and... Um, working and functioning pretty well so yeah um things are pretty pretty good um since which is so crazy that it was 2002 the last show the last Fugazi show yeah (laughs) I still in my mind want to say I was what five years ago (laughs) ten years ago not so much but yeah I mean I um have always kept busy i've always i've you know never stopped playing music um you know i i did i've done quite a few bands and toured quite a bit since that time um you know i can't say i've done a lot of touring obviously um really recently but um i'm i've always been in you know at least two or two or three bands and you know doing some some things with um, some uh, like local filmmakers and kind of um, projection artists and working on some some films and you know documentary stuff and uh, you know I got into recording because I was playing you know playing in bands and playing music and you know bought a four track early on and just was always recording um myself and then as soon as people find out oh you can record hey can our band come over and record and then (laughs) sure uh, (laughs) you know i'd go to a show at the black cat or something and two bands would say hey can we record with you and it's it's something i hadn't even really thought thought much about um but uh it was kind of a i because i really do you know do enjoy uh i enjoy studio the studio as well as obviously playing live and touring I've really loved um but this you know the studio thing then then you have a studio and oh I need you know I'm trying to pay my rent in between tours and basically taking on all kinds of freelance jobs like you said I've worked in I mean I worked in kitchens from the time I was you know 13 um my dad was a a chef and he got into like kind of more restaurant like bigger management stuff. And so my first jobs were washing dishes. Um, uh, I actually were, I washed, I worked at the Pentagon. No way. In the, in the eighties, my dad managed the food service at the Pentagon. And it was one of my first summer jobs was, uh, and you know, I was, I grew up out in Leesburg, Virginia, which at the time was another planet compared to DC. These days it doesn't, it's not as, um, you know, it's, it's about an hour from DC. Um, but it was more farmland back when I grew up and now it's all kind of developed. Yeah. Back, back in the day we thought of it as like civil war battle territory. Yeah. Cause it is. Yeah. It's a lot of that. So, you know, it's been a kind of, um, kind of a perk, I guess, is it 
good way to uh, a positive way to look at it like because i i was just determined to play and bands and tour and not all bands were doing as well as say a fugazi so there wasn't really necessarily a paycheck or a, a big paycheck or any paycheck and um so i i you know i i worked um in restaurants in dc i worked in museums um actually alec mckay hired me in uh 2000-ish to he he's the head preparator at the phillips collection museum in dc mm-hmm. he's been there for quite a long time he actually took over for asa osborne from lungfish was in there before him and alex just said hey you you like art you kind of handy i think you'd like this job and he asked me to come in and install a show and i did that for about 18 years i did i did not every single show but i did most of the phillips collection shows so that was a good freelance job and it would i got lucky where it would fall in between tours um but i also got this behind the scenes art education literally hands-on being able to you know, I mean, we, we installed the art, so we were touching it. We were, you know, talking with the curators and it was a really fascinating job. I mean, we were also unloading the trucks, um, which wasn't so fun, but, um, I guess there always has to be some element, you know, touring your <laughs> part of it is you, you drive and you unload and museums like you unload, but then you get to do the fun part of arranging the artwork, working with the curators. And, um, so so yeah, I, I had a it's a it's been a good life and a lot of the things I ended up doing because I needed something to do for for work in between tours, I couldn't really take a regular job because I'm leaving in 6 weeks or I'm leaving in 2 weeks and um so yeah, I feel fortunate that it wasn't always easy because you know I definitely lived kind of paycheck to paycheck for many many years um but I got a lot of really good experiences that I don't think I would have gotten if I had just taken one one job a long time ago. So Yeah, totally. You're the kind of person who just the, like simply reading the credits, you know, that that you've done, it sort of tells a story and you're playing all these instruments, you're you you have art credits and stuff like that and uh yeah. I, you just get the impression that um man, if if Jerry Busher wrote a book, it uh, could probably be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I wanted, uh, I think art was what I wanted to do kind of even before music. Um, and, you know, art, music, and food, obviously, are kind of some of the great things in the world. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, it's a, and it's kind of like if you, if you love one, you probably love the other. Um, so, you know, coming from this background of, you know, my dad putting me to work at a, <laughs> at a young age. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, like I said, I started washing dishes when I was 13, working in all these different places. And, I mean, I was a sous chef at 17. Um, and I did the classic, I didn't do culinary school like my dad did. I did the, like, classic, you get hired as a dishwasher, which means you're the prep cook. Sure. And then you graduate to doing kind of, like, desserts and salads. And then I became a sous chef at this little this little place out in Leesburg that was literally a mom and pop. The, you know, the husband was the chef and his wife was the host out in front and a small, beautiful French inspired, delicious food, you know, small kitchen crew. Um, so, you know, I had, 
then, uh, you know, I graduated high school and moved to D.C. And I, I had always wanted to play the drums. Um, and I apologize if I'm getting ahead of where we're... I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. This is, you know, I, my just, life has been a little all over the place. So that's how probably how the interview, <laughs> interview is going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I was very interested in this because as far as... As I'm concerned, my experience of, of Fugazi and Jerry Busher is that, you know, I got into Fugazi a little later in the game. So mm-hmm. the majority of shows that I attended, you were performing with the band. Okay. So, you know, right, in my right. mind and in my experience, you were very much an important part of that mm-hmm. experience. And um, so, yeah, I, I did always wonder about the earlier days. Um, my understanding is that you were, were a roadie with Fugazi before performing with them. And then. Right. But actually, and you might be getting to this, but. I have read that you actually auditioned to be in the band when they were just forming. That's right. Yeah. And that's sort of where we are in my, in my long-winded story about my, you know, coming from moving to DC at the same time, you know, I had wanted to, I had wanted to play drums from the time I was a little kid. I mean, there's photos from me at my cousin's house in the corner with a pair of bongos at like three years old, obsessed over there. But when, when school band came around, you know, I think too many kids signed up for the drum. So they gave us this like musical aptitude test, which was really a way to say, oh no, you're more suited for the the saxophone or the trumpet because, you know, 19 kids want to play the drums and they can't, they have to divide you up. So I actually got told I could not play the drums. I, and uh, I did play trumpet and I played through, you know, middle school and high school and even did the like marching band for the first two years of high school. And I'm really, which I'm really glad that I I did to have that that background, and you know I actually played trumpet with Fugazi, so I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a any in any way shape or form a good trumpet player, but I could make some noise, and <laughs> so it it did carry through to my later musical life. Um, but when I graduated high school, I got a little bit of you know a couple bucks from relatives, and I bought a cheap drum set. And it was like I sat down and I just, uh, <laughs> it was like I knew I knew how to play. Yeah. I just had been, it had been on my mind. I'd been watching drummers obsessed, just not even realizing it. And so I could kind of first day play, you know, play a beat. I knew, okay, hi-hat over here, snare. Um, and then I moved to D.C. And... Uh, it's funny because, yeah, I moved into a group house. It was actually the first uh, positive force group house. So I moved from my parents' house in with all of these kind of activist and musician folks. Um, and, and you know, I'd literally been playing drums for, you know, a couple of months or weeks. And so when um, Ian, and so Ian's around that whole crew is around. Joe actually lived in the, in that house for a period a little bit later. But, you know, I I was meeting, you know, uh, Fugazi folks and other musicians from, you know, I've been coming into D.C. for many years, driving in from the time I was like 14 to come to see shows, to go to protests, things like that. So, so I kind of, you know, so you're knew like meeting these guys. guys around like minor threat days or so. No, it was more, um, it would have been more um, probably embrace and, um, you know, a little bit later. So it was like probably, um, you know, Rights of Spring was around, Beefeater, 
Um, I think I think Embrace was kind of had phased out at mm-hmm. that point. But you know, '84 something like that was when the first some of the first shows I came in. Um, I had a friend in school that was older than me, and he actually moved to D.C. and went to the Corcoran um, Art School. And so I also would come in, and you know, I could crash at his place, and we'd go see bands and. So I kind of knew, not that I knew those guys, but I sort of was around everybody. And I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a kid from the suburbs. I'm a huge Discord fan, you know? Sure. I love Minor Threat. I love all those bands, the Bad Brains, all these bands. And so it's still, I mean, it's funny because still, if like Ian calls me, there's part of me that's kind of like, I still kind of, the 13 year old in me is like, it's Ian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I, I um, was living in that house. They were around. Brendan was, um, hadn't, you know, like you said, hadn't committed to, to doing the band. You know, he, he and Guy um, had, uh, you know, let's see, One Last Wish had broken up and they were kind of, not sure exactly how far along Happy Go Licky was. But, you know, Brendan and Guy were kind of tied to each other. Um, and so I think Brendan was a little hesitant to, like, leave that group, that crew. Um, and so, yeah, Ian's just like, hey, you, maybe we can get together. Um, and it was it's pretty hilarious because, again, I had just started playing. So part of my quote-unquote audition was joe showing me how to set my drums up so (laughs) so you know like you know maybe don't put the ride symbol 15 feet away from you and you know the 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 rack tom is pointing up in the wrong direction he's like here move this over here and turn your rack tom so you can actually hit it with your stick um so that was pretty funny so they he kind of gave because joe joe plays some drums so he he knows how to play and he showed me some stuff and actually ian showed me the way Jeff Nelson sets up his snare and hi-hat. He pushes his hi-hat more forward. So traditionally, a lot of drummers, when they're playing kick, snare, hi-hat, their arms are crossed. Yeah. And 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 Joe uh, Jeff, by pushing his hi-hat cymbal forward, his arms were like in an open, open stance or whatever you would call it. So he mm. could raise his hand above his head and hit the snare as hard as he could. So if your arms are crossed... You know, you're you can only raise that left hand as high as up until it hits your right hand. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so he Ian literally showed me that, and I've been doing that ever since. Oh, I've wow. never changed that setup, and I still, when I'm playing loud music, I raise my hand above my head and hit the snare. So, <laughs> so it was you know a great thing, but, um, you know, I was also playing with a another guitar player that was sort of a. T- I mean, it was just a weird situation. I think those guys were like. I mean, Ian told me after he's like, "Look, I could tell you were gonna, you were gonna be able to play, but I was so new, you know." And they're also like playing with Brendan and and Ivor, and you know, very accomplished drummers that have been in, you know, Ivor that was in Embrace and um, Faith. Uh-huh. Um, so to go from that to like this kid <laughs> that's just <laughs> bought his first drum set, but you know, it was it's. Uh, it's always was funny. We always like to talk about it because I, you know, however, t- 15 or whatever years later, I ended up in the band. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, 
so yeah, that's the, the, we go pretty far back. So I literally was around those guys when obviously then, you know, Brendan came on and Guy ended up coming along and, you know, pretty early on. And so, yeah, I was around them. Um, I then um, ended up playing in what's really my first band, Fidelity Jones, um, which is, you know, Doug and Tomas that were from Beefeater. And Beefeater was like my, one is still one of my all-time favorite bands. And I would see them a lot, like a lot of the times when I was driving in from Leesburg, I would see Beefeater shows. So again, I think when I started playing with Fidelity Jones, I had only been playing the drums for like six months and then we're like on tour. Right. So it was, and that band, uh, Tomas, who goes by Onam, now he's a drummer. You have Doug Burzell, who's one of the greatest bass players ever. And so I'm like learning and they were, they just were kind of like, look, we like you. You've got the right attitude. They've, they played with some other people that were technically really good, but they just couldn't get along with them. So they said, look, we'll take you under our wing. We'll show you what you need to know. And um, so the f- the first show I ever played was Fidelity Jones, and we opened for Fugazi. So uh, that's my, fir- my first show. Something else you have in common with uh, Tomas from Beefeater, you know, he famously took the picture for the Margin Walker cover art. And uh, <laughs> right. you seem to be credited for the photo on the back cover of End Hits, the one with yeah. the, uh, the band members' faces scratched out looking they're, like they're standing on Mars or something. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's in the Andes. That's in Chile in the Andes Mountains. Wow. So, yeah, it's like, you know, an incredible spot. Yeah. It's, so Is that just like a like a sunrise? Uh, is, that, is that what makes it all that's red a, like That's that? the sun going down, actually, because we were there. We, we, um, we played a show. And we had a day off, and these local folks took us on this really terrifying drive up, <laughs> up the mountainside, where you know you look over the side. And it's just like okay, if we slip off, we're we're done. Yeah. Um, but they had this. Somebody had this little. It was like really like a shack up in the mountains, and it was like a kind of, I guess a ski. You know, if you were going to go up there, and but it was very bare bones. Um, they just drove us up there like you got it. I mean, it was unbelievable. But we got up there and we're hanging out on this sort of porch of this ski shack or whatever it was. And it was amazing because as so the sun was starting to go down, but you know, the mountains were behind us on the, on this little porch and you'd look up and the shadows on the mountains are so beautiful. But you'd turn away to say something to somebody and look back and it would be completely different because the sun would shift slightly and then all the shadows would shift. And so when I took that photo, it was a little bit later and it probably looks, you know, like like a lot of photos when it's getting starting to get dark. It probably was not as dark as it looks in that photo. But yeah, it was sunset. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. it was pretty amazing. Yeah, as as you may be able to tell, I'm I'm sort of a Fugazi completist, and I love knowing all these details. So you know, I have I have. Sem- I would I would never have guessed that with this <laughs> podcast that you yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, like I I do have questions to ask you, and of course we are going to talk about Strange Light. But I just I right. do, I give you a blanket you know permission to if you have any interesting little details about stuff that happened in the studio recording a song or whatever mm-hmm. you know stuff that wouldn't be interesting on any other podcast. It's interesting here. That's that's right <laughs> as yeah. far as I'm concerned well i've got yeah i've got definitely have that stuff so um (laughs) we'll see when you get sick of me just say okay we're done (laughs) (laughs) well something i i wanted to ask uh, off the bat is you know just to get a solid idea of what you were doing um on some 
not only Strange Light, but some of the other songs, uh, because of course you did perform a lot of tracks live that you you weren't credited on uh, on the albums. Um, yeah, you know, you're playing second drums and some stuff, percussion. You're doing trumpet on some songs. I believe you. I saw you at some point. I think. Um, I, I was under the impression that you were playing a kazoo, but somebody else suggested maybe that was just a mouthpiece to your trumpet. Yeah. At some point. So do mm-hmm. you remember if you just can run down like a list of this, what you remember, like the songs that you played and what you did on them live? Um. Yeah, I can try. Uh, it definitely, it all came from, because, you know, those guys asked me to just roadie, of course, f- first, which I did for a while, which... um. You know, I mean, they're probably, I can't, they're probably the only band I would have done that for. Because, like, I, I want to play. I love to play. Sure. You know, I'm in, back then I'd be in, you know, several bands. I always try to play music that I've, ne- try to challenge myself. And um, so, I mean, obviously it was it was great. The, the times before I started playing, you know, we did this U.S. tour and then we did this, like, you know, two and a half month European tours. The first time I went to Europe, we did like, you know, 16 countries, you know, it was like, um, so that was amazing. And then we, you know, we did a big U S tour and then I'm starting to go like, all right, you know, cause touring it's hard, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I actually love it. I'm a, I'm a weirdo and you kind of have to, um, you have to kind of love all the terrible things about it waiting around flights van this that you kind of if you hate that stuff you're not gonna make it i mean you kind of have to like laugh at the at the stupid things that happen yeah um and then at the end of the day you get to do the thing you love the most so (laughs) you know it's it's worth it um and but being on tour and not getting to play started to get to me because i'm like okay i love these i love those guys i love being with them um and but you know fugazi toured hard too it's like we play every day we drive usually we drive an hour or two after the show and then get up and drive and get in and sound check and you know it's it's just after a while i was just like man you know i'm starting to lose it a little bit because i'm not getting the and it wasn't because they knew that that was happening um really the song closed captioned is the reason why I ended up playing with the band hmm. because when they recorded it, Brendan had this old weird drum machine that um, we were always messing around with. And he, he, so he programmed that beat and played live drums along with the drum machine on the record. And so uh, Brendan and I played together quite a bit. I mean, he, I did a group all scars that he played guitar and keyboard in, and we would just do, you know, we'd play. I, I lived in a in a different house. This is years later with 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 um, Guy and Brendan, and you know, we would just we we played together. We would play. We would you know mess around, jam, or we did some bands together. And so, um, Brendan just said, "Man, you're here. Why don't you play that second drum part? That that drum machine part." Yeah. So, but then so then we drag out, you know, and at first it was really like a kick kind of kick snare hi-hat pretty simple but then we're dragging around another drum set it's like well it's there what else can we what else can we mess around with so 
Um, and actually, I, I talked to Guy on the phone like two days ago. He was so generous to, to uh, you know, I wanted to kind of pick his brain a little bit about Strange Light, but I also was kind of like, you know, wanted to make sure there was a couple of things, which I will, I'll tell you an anecdote or two, which I kind of wanted to make sure he was cool with. Um, but uh, he was talking about it because, you know, songs like Burning, um, from the first, you know, record, mm-hmm. um, he was, he even mentioned it. He said, you know, man, when we, one night we're just like, all right, let's try that. And, you know, after that, every time we did Burning, I played, you know, and basically Brendan and I playing the same thing, like, but just like super, super loud double drums on that. And that was, I mean, that song you know, again, I'm a I'm a Fugazi fan. I was at their first show. I was at most of their local shows. You know, I you know I love the band. Um, and so, so then it was like, all right, well, why don't you play on Burning? Why don't you try? And then, um, so early on when I was playing, um, a lot of the songs from the argument um, were maybe not even ideas yet. Uh, let's see, what's the song? Um, it's got a dub title. Guy plays uh, clarinet on it on the record. Oh, version? Uh, uh, version. So version, they're like, hey, why don't you, you know, Guy, Guy's playing clarinet. And so he was like, well, let's work out a part on trumpet. So then I played trumpet on that. And then, um, and then you know it was more like oh well let's try a percussion thing on on this song or that song and I will say when um, and Guy and I were laughing about it the other day because he when when those guys you know we did the we had the drums there for closed caption and that was that was really fun to do um, but those guys I think were and you know they always like to experiment and try things and experiment with different sounds. And they'd been doing the band for a while, and so when they first, when they first were like, "All right, well, let's let's see what else we can do with you on drums or percussion," they were just like, "Go crazy, man!" <laughs> uh, do you curse on this on this? Yeah, podcast? yeah, go for it. Okay, because they're just like, "Fuck it up," you know, like do whatever. And I was like, "Okay," I was like, "I I, I approached it more carefully because again, I'm like." Fugazi fans are going to murder me if I come in and start playing all this <laughs> crap all over their song, you know? So I was just like, okay, okay. But they were like, go for it. So supportive. Try it. Do this. Try that. You know? So I kind of had a green light, you know, within a, you know, within reason to do whatever I wanted. But I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little careful about this again, because I I respect the band. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, I want it to work. I was like, I'd rather not play on something if it's going to ruin the song, you know? Sure. I don't need to play on it. But um, but they were so, and even when in the studio, when we were recording the argument, I mean, there's, there's, there's um, some, some percussion and things that I did that was, we had not really rehearsed before. Um, I just would say, oh, I have this idea, and they go in, go do it, go, and then okay, that was great, and it's on the record. So there was a few things that they just like kind of let me, let me experiment, and and then certainly when we were um, first, you know, 
using me on stuff, they were really like very supportive and very open to me um, just trying ideas out. I think they just wanted to fuck with the recipe a little bit at that point. Um, so yeah, it was exciting. And again, for me, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, now I'm doing all the hard parts of touring and the non-fun parts, but I get to play. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really thrilling and, and you know, I mean, you, you know, as a big fan, the shows, um, it's interesting because, you know, since they didn't use a set list, nobody really knows sometimes until right before what the next song is going to be. So I had to be ready, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's funny. There were nights where I like Ian broke a string. I'm changing his string and then he starts closed caption. I play closed caption. Gee knocks over his amplifier. I go over there, have to replace a cable, push that back over the thing. His, you know, distortion pedal gets unplugged. Uh, and then I run back and he hits a song that I play trumpet on. I play trumpet on the song and then, you know, whatever. Joe's bass craps out. And I have to, you know, there was nights where it's like everything was smooth. But there were other nights where I'm like, man, I was running my ass off the whole night <laughs> but it was i loved it you know because we still never it was always still the four original band members a roadie and which was you know me from whatever 95 till the end and either joey or nick doing sound so we know we didn't increase the crew we just everybody still did their job i just did that and did all the playing stuff um, but you know, before that I was sitting on the side of the stage, just, you know, waiting in case something broke or, you know, a string broke or whatever. So yeah, it was really, it was amazing. Or you the, know? like the I mean, very rare occasion when Guy knocks over his mic stand or something, right? <laughs> yeah. That hardly ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. His, um, I don't know if I think, you know, I've, I listened to a couple of your, podcast just to kind of get a sense and um it's funny because uh i think it was yours because i just did with fidelity jones uh we just did another one um that end on end podcast yeah friends of the show i think yeah i think it was i think that's that's going to be hilarious if you guys (laughs) tune into that (laughs) um it was pretty funny um but uh I think someone was, it probably was your pod talking about, well, I think Guy used a wah, and I think he maybe had another pedal, but he he did have a, like an MXR distortion that we tried to bring on tour um, for him to use on certain songs. And we built this, you know, wooden, like just a, a piece of plywood with these huge, like on either side of where the, where the, um, quarter inch cables plug in we put these big turnbuckles over top so if he stomped on it it wouldn't destroy but he in uh, he is you know gee when he's playing he's just all over the place yeah but man he would just destroy that thing we'd be like (laughs) oh there's no this thing is indestructible you know two seconds into the first song it's done you know (laughs) so after a while we're like you know what the great you know distortion pedal experiment is over i think we're gonna not (laughs) Um, I think he might have actually brought a wah out, but I don't think that survived. You know, it just was like, it's just, he can't have something sitting there, man. He just would destroy it. So, 
Yeah, um, that's yeah. I've I've just seen pictures of that little setup. I th- I think in uh, yeah <clears throat> yeah in in the book by um oh why why am I blanking on his name? Who who has the Fugazi photograph book? Oh, um, the Glenn Friedman. Yes, Glenn Friedman. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I've seen that the little pedal board you rigged up with with that Vox Wah and his. We thought his it was pedal. indestructible, but uh, apparently not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So there was it was pretty. I mean, it was it was fun. I I loved. I loved being, I loved running around and doing all that stuff, you know, um, and obviously I loved playing, but it was, you know, it's wild because you don't know what, y- you don't know what you're going to play on next, you know, you just had to be, I had to be ready for whatever, however many, whatever it was, 12 or ish songs that I play on, like, you know, it's, you just had to be ready to do them. Yeah. Um, but well, it was exciting. <clears throat> One thing I was curious about that I had read is uh, there was an article in Modern Drummer magazine talking to Brendan, and he said, uh, quote, when using the double drums with Jerry, we tried to get our kits to sound as different as possible. Uh, so wh- what are some ways you would do that? Um, well, you know, I mean, it's the main thing would probably be like the snare tuning, because um, like the, the type of snare drum that Brendan used for most of Fugazi, it's this big, it's a Ludwig Coliseum and it's like a 12 lug drum. It almost looks like a marching snare drum or something. And it's funny because when I was a young newbie drummer and I, I didn't, I don't even think I really, I knew Brendan from, you know, passing by or whatever, but he, he and Guy worked at Yesterday and Today Records. And I remember I was in the shop one day and I just was like, Hey, excuse me. Uh, what's kind of what's? Can you recommend a snare drum? I need to buy a snare. And I was like, you know, seventeen or whatever. And Brendan just said, "Oh, I have this this kind, and I like it." And I went to the shop, and they had another one. So I ended up buying. I still have it. It's actually sitting next to me. Um, but obviously, two drums that sound exactly the same not that interesting so i have i have another i have another snare drum that's you know it's a smaller more traditional mm-hmm. size um and you know i tend to tune you know brendan would go for a lot of through a lot of fugazi would go for a pretty high pitched snare drum especially like the earlier it's almost like ping you know yeah, it's like yeah. very high it's kind of part so much part of the sound of some of those songs um but i i tend to go for a different kind of snare sound and yeah, it's just more interesting. You want to hear, you know, hear both kits, you know, if, um, and it's actually, I like, I like how live and on the record, you know, we're very, we have very different styles where our, our, um, kind of where we, where we sit on the one is very, is very different. You know, you can kind of be ahead of the beat, on the beat, behind the beat. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to have a tendency towards one of those, and I like to kind of adjust. I like to kind of mess around with all with all of it. But um, so there are times when we're not really hitting the snare exactly at the same time, but it creates a really cool sound. Yeah. Um, and especially if the drums sound different, and we're not exactly right on top of each other, it just becomes this big crazy drum sound. Um, and I think I've had people tell me like, man, that's a crazy, you know, that didn't necessarily know there were two drums on a song or whatever. Like, man, that's a crazy drum sound. I was like, yeah, that's that's two of us <laughs> playing together. But yeah, it's just kind of like more 
more interesting. If we're going to do it, you want to, you want to, I mean, I feel like I can tell a mile away that it's two drum sets, but like, if you're going to do it, it's, it might, might as well sound like what it is. It is two different drummers with different sounds, with different styles playing together. And, um, so yeah, we, we didn't want to change that. We didn't want to get too, too slick or too polished. So, um, we wanted to kind of be raw and, and that's how it was live. And that's how, when we tracked the stuff, you know, the double drum stuff for the record, that's, we, we did, did it the same way. I mean, I was in, in the studio with everybody. I was, there's like a little kind of vocal booth that I was in, but with the door open and a mirror basically. So I could see Brendan (laughs) that Don, Don Zantara rigged up for me. Um, but you know, I was, there in the room with everybody yeah. so um but. well well i guess that leads pretty well into i mean let's talk about strange light proper because i'm interested in your contributions to that um and first of all uh, my my first little finding about that is this seems to be the least played live song from the argument from what i can see on the fugazi live series website it seems to be only 19 times this was played yeah um, that's right was this a was this like a difficult one to pull off live? Um, well, I think, um, and actually from, uh, talking to Guy the other day, um, he, it's funny because he had actually looked to see how many, and you're right, it was 19. Um, you know, it's, uh, he, he said like, um, it, it's a tricky, it's, it is kind of a tricky song to play. Cause that guitar part that he's playing, it's, I can't even believe he could sing while he's doing it, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when I I listened to some of the live versions, getting ready for this interview, and um, man, I mean, they sound. It's not like oh, we were struggling through it, and Guy certainly sounds great on it. I think it's just um, it was definitely a tricky one. Uh, I think it's a song where I'm I'm just I'm I'm imprinting this on Guy. I think it's you probably feel pretty exposed, which is not. You know, there's plenty of songs, especially with Guy, where yeah, he rend it for example, l- lets you right in there. You know, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it. Um, he he actually seemed surprised that it was that. He's like, yeah, that's not a lot of times for us to do that song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like, uh, oh, it's a problem, child. We don't really like playing it or whatever. Um, I think it was a little like I think that's you know, like he said, it was a little tricky to play guitar and sing on it. Um, so I think some nights you just feel like, oh, you know, you know, I don't know, you worried about it. And so maybe just like, oh, we'll do it tomorrow or something. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, man, I just, I'm really happy to be on the pod with this song because I mean, it's, it's such a great song. Like, it's pretty amazing. It's, you know, and I mean, I think it's one of my favorite songs, you know. Just of any song. I mean, I th- I love this song. Yeah. And something else I wanted to say off the bat by way of introducing it is, uh, w- I, well, I have a quote from Guy here. Uh, so I'll just quote him. He says, it's kind of funny because for the longest time, Full Disclosure and Strange Light were actually the same song. And right. they don't sound anything like each other now. They never coalesced, so they separated and became two different songs. For us, right. it's weird because we know their genealogy and how they break down. But for people hearing them for the first time, they're not going to pick up on it. And right. um, 
So, so for listeners who want to hear an example of that, um, one of our listeners, Rob Virginio, uh, pointed out a clip, uh, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, but uh, at Fort Reno, uh, the show from 2000, for example, at the mm-hmm. uh, at 1650, um, there's the sort of combi- combined version of Full Disclosure and Strange Light, and it's like em- embryonic form. So that's right. really, really interesting for a fan to uh, to go back and check out. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that till Gee mentioned that to me too, and I was like, "Oh man, I forgot! I just completely forgotten that it it was sort of a yeah combo f- with full dis- disclosure." Um, but this one too, it's like um, you know, not to get ahead of it too much, but the the whole kind of instrumental end part is something that was just um, talked about and worked on and honed and. Um, and you know it's it's uh pretty cool like um you know i don't know what order you want to sort of talk about the song specifically um i i'm so. i'm down to go in any uh any order you want yeah right yeah i mean i know that um it's funny because uh um you know when i so i play on you know which i guess you'd call the verses Mm-hmm. I play I play um, a snare with brushes, right? And okay. I'm do, I'm doing this kind of like you know what, um, really how jazz drummers play. They yeah. play the you know um, the swing beat on the snare with the brushes, and you're you're kind of rotating your your hands around, and um, as you're passing through, one hand comes up and the other, but it creates this swirling effect. So I did, that's basically what I'm doing. It's just, I'm not doing the swing pattern that you would do on a jazz setting, but I'm doing that swirl, like it's kind of a, um, that sort of matches a little bit with the rhythm of the guitar part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, like on the recording, I would, um, when my drum set got a little bigger with the group, I had added some other percussion stuff to it and I actually added a, a ride cymbal and at the time, I was using um, a ride with rivets in it. It's so like a sizzle ride. Yeah. I just would always, I just always used it with any, really any band I was doing at the time. So on the record, you can just kind of barely hear. I think I just like hit it with my finger, but I had that symbol in the room too. So I hit that. And so it's this shh kind of. Wow. Um, so I'm assuming that, like really close mics probably. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some, there's some, uh, you know, Guy said he used his Echoplex, so the kind of like little little sounds that you hear back there are from his Echoplex, and the sizzle cymbal kind of, you know, you're almost like, I'm not sure which one's which, because that has a kind of like, yeah. you know, f- sizzly sound as well. Yeah, I was noticing what sounded like this oscillating delay in the background, so I guess that's yeah. the Echoplex. That's the Echoplex, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so that was, it was cool. It was, um, I mean, again, it's funny talking about performing it and gee feeling a little like oh it's it's a little tricky because it's funny to like i mean obviously playing with fugazi they're you know really the loudest band i've ever played with you know mm-hmm. that was you know two marshall half stacks svt cabinet you know f- drum brendan <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> and then I add another drummer so you know it was like so there were times when i you know played on things that were so quiet and uh, I mean, that's something I love about that band and that I really learned from is 
dynamics. You know, oh, the loud part's going to yeah. sound a lot louder if there's something quiet there. If you're just cranking along loud, it just loses its power. Yeah. But I remember feeling like, okay, I'm in this whatever hall with, you know, a thousand people and I'm doing this whoosh, whoosh, with little thing on my stair with my brushes. And I'm just like, how is this <laughs> <laughs> translating? But it's cool. Like when, when you listen to the live recordings, um, I can hear it. You know, I mean, also we had great sound, you know, front of house engineers, Joey and, and um, Nick. So they, they knew how to bring things up in the mix. Um, so, but yeah, it was felt, I felt sort of exposed during those moments too. Hmm. Um, and that, the evolution of that, that live, um, it's pretty funny because I really only play that, that, that brush um, part on the verses and on the record, when it kicks in to the sort of, there's that first kind of almost instrumental chorus, or I guess you would call it, and then it kicks in again and actually has all the lyrical parts and, you know, the kind of long instrumental part. I, you know, um, on the record, I don't play on any of that. I just played the snare brush thing. Sure. But live... Um, and it's funny, I have this memory, because I actually, I used to bring this little sampler on the road. It's a little, it's called Dr. Sample. It's like a really simple, older little sample box. Yeah, it's like a boss thing. And, um, yeah. And um, so, like, on the song um, Cash Out, you know, on the record, there's that there's this kind of strange alien sound at the beginning yeah, of like it. Yeah, like the radio chatter sort of stuff. Yeah. So I actually had that in my, in my, I had a sample of that. So, and it's funny because I think we only did it for a tour or so. So I would play the sound. So there are some versions of Cash Out Live where you hear that sound and that's because I'm, I'm playing that sample. Hmm. But on, on Strange Light, and Guy couldn't remember it, and I'm still not even sure if it's right, but I feel like we had, for the end part, because they really wanted this kind of random swirling chords and for it to have a kind of unsettling, you know, odd feeling to it, which I think on I think it's really successful on the record. But I actually, I'm pretty sure I had, I guess I just recorded Ian or Guy play their guitar. So I actually would trigger these guitar sounds during that end part. With, the, with the sampler? With that sampler, um, mm. and I think maybe we only did it a couple times because then, then as it evolves, and then I ended up I would always play like um, tambourine and, and shaker, so I would kind of stand up after the song kicked in, and I would grab a tambourine and shaker, and then I would really kind of like play and s- smash the cymbals with my shaker, and you know, which I think just felt more. You know, instead of sitting there hitting a sample button, didn't really feel <laughs> like it fit into the sh- to yeah. the show. Feels but, a you little know, we like were cheating, tr- maybe. Yeah, a little. It's a little bit like it was kind of fun, and then I because I think Nick would take it and do some weird stuff to it with effects. But yeah, we were just like, ah, let's not. Yeah, that didn't. That was a, that was fun to try, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, as far as that end part, um, that's what Guy was telling me too, and I remembered that Brendan actually went over to. Uh, Discord house and recorded that piano that sort of doubles the guitar line. Well, that's Brendan. Um, I, I assumed that's that that Brendan. was Ian. Yeah, hmm. so Brendan actually transposed it for piano and then 
um, and we were talking. I think I think um, maybe Chad Clark, who who had uh, Silver Sonia Studio in the in the B room at Inner Ear. I yeah. think he went over with Brendan and they recorded it. Hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean it, that part. And I was saying to Gee, it's interesting because when it kicks in to that, you know, the kind of longer noisy passages and the chords crashing into each other. I would I said, you know, I felt like most bands would when they hit that part would try to hit everything super hard, shove that idea down your throat, you know. Yeah. But actually when it kicks in, it kind of almost pulls back in energy for a moment and then goes forward and it kind of washes in and out. I mean, it's just Again, the tendency would have been to like, okay, now we're playing this loud part. Let's just everybody hit it a hundred percent. But they didn't do that, you know. Which I think again is is the their their attention to dynamics. Like it's going to be more effective if it sort of pulls back here and it just kind of happened that way. Um, and that was something that was really interesting yeah. to hear the recorded version. Um, yeah, that, I had it, I had the same thought about returning the screw because sort of the mm-hmm. where the last part where it really kicks in, it doesn't kick in loud right away. First, it starts with Ian strumming and gradually getting louder. Whereas, right. yeah, yeah, I I kept thinking another band would have just jumped in as loud as you can yeah. be, like from they just thought that stuff through. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They, just, they really, it wasn't good enough to have a a good part or 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 a good segue from this to that. They wanted to like, well, how can we, okay, that's, that's cool. This works with this. Now what can we do to make it better or to make it more powerful or more interesting to listen yeah. to? So, um, I think it's a good example of, of that. Um, yeah. And it's, it, this is talking to you is another great example of how, um, there's so much more below the surface that, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think for a casual Fugazi fan, a lot of people are like, Oh, like they were such a great band, and you know they they didn't use effects. It was just like straight ahead. But then you dig a little deeper, and it's like, well, they had you know Nick or Joey P putting effects mm-hmm. on stuff. Uh, yeah, you know yeah. you're you're playing a sampler, which I don't I'm think I ever sampler. realized you did live. <laughs> yeah, Gee's messing around with his like tuner on top of his amp uh, during those right, feedback right. parts. So it's not yeah. that simple. And they were they're really no. doing even live even though they didn't have like big pedal boards there right. there's interesting stuff going on that you might yeah, not I mean, realize yeah, at first right yeah cuz Ian literally never i mean he got so many sounds out of that guitar amp combination just with you know he never used enough uh you know you'd think he would get the most amazing distorted guitar sound but it's just from overdriving the amp man it's just the way yeah. you know and, and that thing you could get all the feedback and you could get clean sounds and dirty sounds and everything in between. And it's pretty, I see as a player, I love, I love limitations. I love, like, I always play like a four piece drum set. I like to like try to make as many different kinds of sounds out of this small drum set instead of having a giant drum. You know what I mean? To me, I like to be limited and then I have to like make myself be creative and, I mean that's sort of an example with him on the you know and and again Guy, he tried you know a couple times there were some effects which live which just pra- weren't practical well and um, speaking but, of guitar you know, the effect, studio yeah i was going to say yeah. speaking of guitar effects cuz when when the riff comes in like uh you know get your shoes on the mm-hmm. the riff that makes that that sounds to me like it's it's not an amp that it's like either a fuzz pedal of some kind or maybe just Guy's distortion pedal. I don't know if you have any idea what what that was. 
Well, um, I'm not hundred percent um, specifically, but um, I do I do know that um, obviously there they would have in the studio they would have their big Marshall amps in there, but a lot of the guitar sounds are are small amps, hmm. you know, and that's a studio thing that people realized is like sometimes this huge guitar sound doesn't mean huge amp makes huge guitar sound for a recording yeah sometimes a little a little fender champ mic'd correctly can just sound massive um so i know that they you know and again i don't have a specific answer to that but i know that they really experimented with um different different amplifiers too and some of them were quite small like i think there was a basically a fender champ in there that got used on some stuff but it's like all right well that that works and you know um certainly you know a recording is a different thing live you you do your thing i mean they had obviously they like you said they had joey and nick doing some manipulating some kind of dubbing out um but in the studio you know you're trying to create that energy um, and it's, it's, you know, it's not real, <laughs> you know, it's really like, um, so anything you can do to make it feel like you want it to feel. So they, they, they would always experiment with different, um, different amps. And again, some of the big, huge guitar sounds that you would hear, you'd be surprised to see it's like from this tiny little amp. Um, yeah. And I, I have to say one of the cool things about this song I mean, there's so much experimental stuff that's going on and there are sounds that really they had not tapped into before in, in Fugazi's recorded output. But even the even compositionally, there's... Like, for example, the the first thing you hear in the song is this dry guitar melody that's mm-hmm. played and then sort of piano comes in and gives it a harmony. But then yeah. that same melody comes in at uh, about 2 minutes 15 but it's reharmonized. Uh, the chords right. that go with it are completely different, but so it just gives it this new context uh, in in yeah. almost a jazz kind of way that I mm-hmm. I mean I can't think of if they had done that before, and it's fascinating. Right. It's funny too because the thing that that little and at the beginning the little da 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 that always reminds me, and maybe because it's got this dubby echoplexy thing under it. But to me, it reminds me of like an like an old school dub song that has a little horn line hmm. that does a little da 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 da, and then it kicks into the tune. It always reminds me of a dub horn line for some reason. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, I I don't you know I don't know anything specifically about what the inspiration was, but I mean, we definitely were listening to a lot of dub on the road, so it was a, definitely an influence on the band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for some reason, it just reminds me of something like that, and I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is. Um, but yeah, it's really, I mean, it's it's beautiful, you know? Um, uh, and uh, I do have a, a little lyrical insight that Guy was for, um, like uh, generous enough to, to share with me. And I would love to hear I that. Could, yeah. I could share with you. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, so, Guy, um, there was a, 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 I guess it was a, just a shop. I don't even think they sold plants, but there was a shop in his, in the neighborhood and they had this little lemon tree. And 
Guy kept talking to the guy like, oh, would you, do you want to, would you sell that? Would you sell that? The guy was like, no, I don't want to sell it to you. I don't want to sell it to you. And Guy finally convinced the guy to, to sell him the, the little lemon tree. And he's like, oh, this would be really cool to have a little, it was a small tree. Yeah. And it had one giant lemon growing on it. And um, so he convinces the guy, no, no, I'll, I, I want to buy the tree. He's like, okay, I'll sell it to you. He buys the tree, brings it home, sets it up in the window. Um, You know, he's, taking care of it, watering it, and the tree just gets some crazy disease. And he said the the stalks had scars all over them, and the tree just was just died. The lemon dried up and died. And so he immediately just, the thing just died. And it was, and he said, you know, not only that, but it's like the, the, the stalks are all scarred up it looked like it had a horrible disease <laughs> so the uh obviously the nothing grows right anymore scars on every stalk is is this dying lemon tree i never would have imagined that that was literal that's fascinating <laughs> yeah <laughs> i always loved that line so it was really and i never i never you know i don't think he he ever told me that story before yeah um but yeah, pretty pretty cool. He was just, and it was really so nice of him. He just was like, "Hey, I got, I'll give you a little, a little <laughs> anecdote here." So that was that was pretty cool, and it's such an effective lyric. I mean, this th- this song starts off heavy as hell, man. Yeah, you know? and it sort of keeps going that way. It's it very keeps going that way. It, in more than one way, yeah. it reminds me of "Hello Morning" lyrically. Mm-hmm. It's got yeah. this apocalyptic feel. And um, of course, I mean the the word "sun" is in the first line of each song, right? So I guess yeah. maybe that's part of why I feel that way, right? Um, but yeah, and and it goes on to sort of detail this I don't know these feelings of alienation and mm-hmm. um, it's uh, yeah it, it's the kind of song that I mean the word Radiohead esque springs to mind like the, these kind of the kind of lyrics that Tom York writes about just mm-hmm. sort of uh, discomfort with. <laughs> Um, both like the future and even the present. Right. And yeah. 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 It, it seems to be personal discomfort, and then like you know, um, larger big picture world discomfort, or you know, like yeah. uh, I think this. And again, you know, I'm like everybody else, just reading the lyrics, you know, imprinting my own feelings on it. Um, but it seems to, you know, come from a. It's obviously there's some sadness there and, you know, personal feeling and then, but then also feeling like, I mean, especially the kind of like beige concrete goes on for miles hiding cities under it, you know, like just sort of, and I can imagine, you know, us driving around on tour, seeing the uh, cities turning into mall after mall after mall. And, right. you know, again, this is just me saying this, but, um, you know, it's, it feels, um, you know, and I don't know, for myself, not comparing my in any way to this song or whatever, but I I do, I have, you know, had some bands where I, you know, wrote lyrics and sang and things. And I, I tended to um, try, I think in visual art and in, in lyrical content, I usually try to take like a bad feeling, a depression or and try to turn it into something not to sound cheesy but something beautiful right 
Um, I think that's a lot of my favorite kinds of music do that. You know, you're, you're, you're dancing along to the song and then you listen to the words, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's rough. Um, but you know, it's like, it's, I kind of love that taking some pain and turning it into something life affirming. And, uh, I feel like, I feel like this song kind of does that. Um, and actually I have another anecdote for you. Um, oh, hit me. Which which is one that I knew, and I wanted to make sure Guy didn't mind that I told the story. <laughs> um, because, and to bring us to, you know, so we're sort of passing through a lot of these, this um, kind of difficult imagery, and then we get it to, you know, come on over, get your shoes on, get your feet on, baby, come on over. Which to me, again, it's kind of like, and again, I don't know, I would never ask Guy, oh, what's it about? But, you know, to me, it's kind of like, then there's some there's some joy, like, you know, saying to someone, I want to see you come over. Yeah. Um, and it's very simple idea. Um, but the funny thing is, so when I was living um, at this house um, that Guy lived in for many, many years, and I lived in for a while, and when I was first there, Brendan lived there, and I share, I, Brendan's room was next to my room, and he had his four-track in there, um, and so he was always messing around. He was actually, it's funny because he would be, I remember, um, what song is it? Oh, Bed for the Scraping. One of my favorite that, moments that part. in Fugazi, yeah. So Brendan was, <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure Brendan wrote that part because he was working on that on his four track. And so I'd be in my room hearing over and over and over again. So, you know, some of those, you know, because those guys all worked on the songs and Brendan, you know, wrote some of my favorite guitar parts, uh-huh. um, which I, I think people know. But um, so th- we were also, we're all there. We're all goofy. And so we would, we started making up some just ridiculous songs on this four track at the same time. And we had one that we were like, oh, this is our big, this is our big dance hit song. And, uh, but it was called Schlump Put Your Feet On. <laughs> and it was going to set the world on fire. And it's it's funny because it's so ridiculous and stupid and noisy and we're just like yelling. And But um, but Put Your Feet On, was a, and I don't even know if it was Guy or who came up with that lyric when we were making this stupid joke song. But we would always just say, oh, schlump, you know, schlump it up, put your feet on or whatever. It was like our just thing to say to each other. And I remember when... Guy was working on Strange Light. He was like, he's like, hey, I, <laughs> I kind of referenced Schlump, put your feet on, because he said, like, get your feet on. And sometimes live, he would even sing, put your feet on. So, uh, um, and he said he kind of, he kind of put it there as a bit of a, a placeholder. You know, a lot of times singers will just say something. You know, ABC equals yeah. you and me, or whatever. Throw something in there, and then they'll go, okay. I like the rhythm of that. I'll figure out and then I'll change the lyrics to something that I want. But he said he kind of partially put it in there as a placeholder, but then he really started to like it. And then I think maybe he tweaked it a little bit, but that's basically, but it was pretty funny because we were laughing. We were just like, schlump, put your feet on, made it, kind of almost made it onto the record. (laughs) So That's fascinating. um, I mean, I must say so far, there's, there's so many things that I had been wondering about this song that you, I didn't even have to ask, and you just came out and, <laughs> <laughs> and told yeah. me some fascinating stuff. That's great. Yeah, and it's kind of 
it's kind of cool too because the two those two anecdotes one is you know about the the scars on the stock and then the other one's like you know put your feet on and they're pretty pretty different obviously yeah uh you know sources of inspiration and um and lyrical content too but yeah it's um and it's yeah, pretty as, funny to think about as far as uh, i i didn't speak to gee personally about this song but uh on genius.com there's a little quote from gee that doesn't seem to be sourced and i i'm not sure where he said it but if it is to be believed gee said that strange light quote was similarly uh similarly to full disclosure a song about alienation in a world where environmentally and sociologically the world seems to be in a state of collapse and disrepair and trying to find someone to help break through that reality. So, there you go. That's out there. Who knows? I mean, it sounds about right. Who knows if Gee yeah. actually said it? Because it sounds like something that... It sounds to me like something that a person that was like, you know, would want to ask in an interview, what's it about? And then they get this perfect answer. So, I I mean, I don't, who knows? Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it was him. Yeah. Um, but you know how those things go. It's like um, a lot of times... That's the thing. That's why I wanted to check with him because, like, I don't, you know, I know uh, most artists don't really love talking about, you know, specifics to what songs are about a lot of the time. And um, that's why I kind of wanted to make sure he didn't mind if I spilled the beans on a couple things because yeah. I'm like, is this out there? And <laughs> apparently, apparently, Schlump Put Your Feet On is not out there. So oh, I think man. this is a uh, this is an exclusive. <laughs> this is an exclusive. <laughs> Amazing! I love it. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just you know it's 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 kind of it's fun to think about that time too because you know um, uh, you know living with those guys and hearing you know doing you know have because um, you know we had a lot of fun we did a lot of goofy stuff but there was a lot of hard work and to just. Um, it was, it's fun for me to think about that time, um, you know, living with those guys and, you know, and again, sometimes hearing these nuggets for these great songs being kind of created in the next room over. Um, it just was, uh, the experience, um, I think for those guys in the band, you know, you don't do a band for that long and do that much and tour that hard if you don't love each other. Yeah. If you don't, you know, enjoy each other's company and, but we just, uh, it, it was so, it, you know, it was like simultaneously so much fun and so much hard work, but I don't think, I don't see how you could do it if you weren't able to kind of like laugh at the ridiculous things, you know, the flat tires and like mm-hmm. that, that, that first, that big European tour we did, you know, we only had, I think we did, you know, almost 70 shows and we barely had any days off and the days off we had we spent at at the mechanic our van just broke down so many times and we literally like you know so we just were like sitting in these you know gas stations yeah and <laughs> plastic chairs probably but yeah it was just like uh you know but we had a great time you know <laughs> like and um yeah, so it's fun. It's fun again. It feels like a long time ago, I guess, because it was. Um, yeah. But it's fun to think about that time, and it's really, it's really kind of, um, you know, I don't, I don't do a ton of looking back all the time. But um, it's, um, it's funny thinking about that time in in the house with those guys because it just was so inspiring. 
in general. You know, there's just so much going on and so much music being made. And um, so, yeah, this was cool to to kind of think about that for me because I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that in a long time. Well, let me ask you this. Um, and I had heard. And, you know, I don't know if it's taboo to even talk about this because I get the feeling that the band would prefer that everyone just thought of their, you know, quote, indefinite hiatus as like a completely mutual, spontaneous decision. Um, And you can say no comment on this if you have none. But Mm -hmm. I had heard through like I, I get this understanding through people I've talked to and things that I've read that really it was mostly that sort of Brendan was had this family and he didn't feel he could do the full time thing anymore and devote enough time to to being a father. And uh, I had also heard that the band was for a time considering going on and having you replace him as the drummer. Do you have a comment on that, whether that's truthful or should I just strike that from the record? Uh, well, I definitely tell you the part of them going on with me as drummer is absolutely not true mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, I mean, there was never that 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 band is those four, and you know, I'll count myself the lucky fifth member or whatever but like no it was never that was uh, it just that's the thing it was it was it was good it's it's all or nothing they're not gonna no one's gonna get replaced no one's gonna uh, they just and again i'm 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 saying this from what i know from them and i'm not speaking for them but i know that it just would they would never in my opinion never do anything that wasn't with those four folks involved um it was never discussed. It was never, yeah. As far as like me doing that, that was never discussed. Cool, good and to know. That's would, a question, and, that... and really never would have happened. Yeah, I don't think you know. Um, but you know, and it's also like I know. I feel like sometimes people say, "Oh, Brendan with the kid," but you know, there was uh, the truth is, just generally speaking, um, a lot going on with everybody. A yeah. lot of life changes. A lot of, and you know, like life, there's births and deaths and. Uh, illness and change and it was a lot of a lot going on so it wasn't it just it really wasn't um any one thing you know and I think and you know I've been in a lot of bands and they've all broken up and it's always a really complicated answer because there's no you can't say oh it's I mean maybe if if uh in a rare occurrence where something crazy happens and you're like that's it I'm out of here you you know ran over my dog and so I'm out of the band but uh usually it's it's you know they I always say bands are they it, it's a relationship you know it's almost like and it's and similar to a romantic relationship you've got the intimacy of the music you have to be so exposed to the people you're in the band with especially as a singer but you're all exposed when you're trying to learn a part or you you're struggling and you're trying to write a song or work on a song and you're flubbing it it feels terrible so you got to feel comfortable with who you're with yeah. and so any any band that i know that's st- ever broken it's there's never like oh it's cuz of this it's like people ask you and i'm like ah you know i mean just imagine you know like a romantic relationship breaks up how complicated that is but this is like add three or four more people to that equation and i'm not saying it's exactly the same but it's very there's a lot of similarities so yeah um you know life happened and um obviously for for me i didn't ever want it to end um you know it was also my job for eight years um and 
I wanted to, you know, if it were up to me, we would have played more. I'm sure everybody would have wanted to, to a degree. But, um, yeah, so, but yeah, as far as me taking over, no, that that would have never happened. Well, I'm glad to know either way. Thanks. That's, yeah. a, that's a question that had been eating at me, if that was at all yeah. true. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah. we could put that to bed. Right. <laughs> um, well, to, you know, to wind it up, usually on this show, uh, I'm talking with a guest who's, you know, just a mere fan of Fugazi, and we talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? I, I, know, I understand you have no objectivity here. Do you feel like skipping that part, or do you want to participate? Uh, rating the, the song? Yeah, Strange Light in terms of the mm-hmm. larger Fugazi catalog. We usually do a one to five stars. One to like, five. How do you rank this as a Fugazi song? Well, I it's funny because I I, w- I guess I don't mind doing that because I just this I think this song is amazing. It is. I I give it a five. You know, for me it's, you know, it's a complicated thing. I'm sure you know you relate. I love you know again. I'm a fan. I love the band. Um, you know, I I had the records, saw the shows before. You know, and I I I knew them, but. You know, until I was, you know, much later on the road and then playing, it's just, you know, I'm still, even then, I'm like still a fan of the band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I love, obviously, every, so many of the different records have a, you know, place in my heart. You know, the first EP and like Repeater and, you know, some of these I just can't imagine. They just, they're just, they represent periods of my life, like a lot of great music. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, I'm really, uh, really proud to be a part of the argument and, and then the, you know, the like furniture single, um, I, I, I'm always happy. I, I get people pretty often saying that's their favorite Fugazi record, which is always nice. And I get, you know, definitely compliments about the percussion and stuff. Yeah, as we um, speak, uh, we're, we're recording on um, October 17th, and there have just been a couple of articles that came out about uh, the arguments turning, you know, it's turning 20 years old. Oh, and yeah. And there's some, you know, j- just on, I think on Stereo Gum, there was one, and uh, there are a lot of people that really feel that the argument is, you know, not only this, the best Fugazi record, but this sort of tantalizing signpost of of how things might have gone the direction they might have taken if the band had continued and uh yeah it's a fantastic record yeah it's cool i mean you know it's always nice to hear but um i'm definitely very happy to be a part of it but i do think i guess you know my to finish the rating point like it's this song is is definitely way up there i mean and and not just for fugazi i think it's like just a an amazing song. So yeah, it definitely, cool. it definitely is, uh, would be a five for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. I think I'm going to clock in with like um, a 4.5. I also think mm-hmm. it's so great. <laughs> and I think one thing I- that makes it great for me is just Guy's lyric writing, which I think just the, the word craft in it just really appeals to me. I think he's on the top of his game here in particular. Yeah. Uh, the line "I'm a warehouse filled with junk, some some things for some some ones." Yeah, like, that's that's genius. That's a genius way yeah. to express that. I love right. that little yeah. bit of of wordplay, and I think 
he just he does a lot of that in this song so yeah it's right. a great one for I me I agree I agree and like there's something about that with the kind of the kind of riff and it's very like I don't know if you I'm sure you you know of the happy go licky stuff unfortunately there's you know no recorded material but there's yeah, the there's like the, live recordings the live recordings but you know again I was around I saw them I saw I think probably every time they played around DC and I don't remember, you know, they didn't play that many shows, but something about the, um, that kind of like a riff, like the, of Guy's style of song, um, it, that, that riff, um, riff lyric combination, like there's some happy go licky stuff that I just love and saw them play a million times. And, <clears throat> There's something to this song that reminds me of some of that period of his songwriting mm-hmm. um, and that I just always loved. So yeah. I think there's something, I mean, not, he certainly did it in, in something, some, things similar to that in Fugazi, but I feel like this one just, it really remind it, it reminds me of that period. Um, I think more than, than a lot of the Fugazi stuff, but I, 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 I love that band, you know, they were amazing. Like I loved Happy Go Licky. They were, cause they were, you know, I'm, I, I love a lot of experimental noisy stuff. And, you know, there were shows where they basically were, they kind of couldn't rehearse. And so, you know, but they had been in a band for so long and the songs were kind of loose. So they would do these almost like semi improvised sets. Yeah. And, I love that kind of stuff, and they would—they were just killer. They were there were some great shows. Um, I, I wish they had actually gotten into the studio at some point, but anyway, I'm a, yeah, huge fan of of their stuff. And yeah. I think actually, like Brendan's drumming on Happy Go Licky is just amazing too. It was a big inspiration to me. And I I did want to say before we wrap up tip of the hat to amy dominguez who plays cello on this because right. we didn't mention yeah. her yet and uh it's so cool yeah it sounds great and again that them wanting that kind of kind of random swirling of chords and sounds and this kind of you know um i mean to me it's almost like avant classical kind of sonically and then with that the cello, it's, it does sound really great. Yeah, she did a great job on that, definitely. Yeah. We might be speaking to her in the, the oh, cool. due course of this uh, podcast, so listeners, uh, stay tuned to this channel, I guess. Um, well, man, thank you so much. It's This has been like an amazing combination of speaking to uh, like the biggest Fugazi fan and a member of the band at the same time. Uh, so <laughs> right. it's really, really fantastic to talk to you. Um, Excellent. Let me give you a chance to do any kind of plugs that you might want to put out there as far as stuff you're working on or stuff you've done in the past that you want uh, Fugazi fans to check out. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, there's some things actually even just on um, on Bandcamp some older. There, there's actually, uh, if you go to just Jerry Busher at Bandcamp, there's actually like a a kind of solo thing that I put up there that's um, some songs and some kind of almost, um, I was doing some kind of soundtrack work and stuff at the time and ended up, you know, when you do a soundtrack job, you use 10% of the 
music that you create usually and you end up with this stuff lying around so kind of made this it's almost like a musical collage of songs and pieces and Mm -hmm. sounds and um but it's pretty cool um and uh actually Bandcamp has um all the all scars stuff um another a record that i'm proud of too that brendan's on too is this all scars early ambient um and it's uh brendan with doug brazell um on bass and chuck bettis uh singing um a lot of that stuff is there um you know you can listen to or buy if you want um but um you know because i put a lot of the the discord stuff's up there too um but so my band french toast has a bunch of stuff up there um as far as um you know new music i was you know before the lockdown happened um i've been doing doing a band with doug brazell on bass and sean brown who's the you know first singer of dag nasty um and he does uh red hair and he did a band swizz um who's a friend and neighbor of mine here. We were doing this just bass, drums, and vocal group um, called POA Mm -hmm. that was just starting to do some shows. (laughs) Um, We did a a couple shows. We played at this local place, Rhizome, that's in Tacoma Park in D.C., this amazing kind of art music space. Um, So we're trying to kind of get get back into playing... Um, and that's a pretty pretty fun thing. I've been, you know, playing playing again the past few years with Doug a lot. And again, I learned to play the drums playing with him on bass. So we have a we have a kind of synergy that's that I you know is pretty great. And I don't have with anybody else. So and he's pretty unique bass player. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so you know, otherwise I don't have a lot of stuff you know recent to plug. I am I am doing a thing with another kind of discord person, which I'm, it's a solo thing and I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to talk about it or not, but that's going to be cool. So I'm, but I'm playing, I'm playing some drums on that. Um, I've been doing some projects here and there with a visual artist, Robin Bell, who a lot of people may have seen his work. He's the one that did all those projections on like the Trump hotel. Yeah. Um, like pay bribes here or things like that. And he's, he's an activist filmmaker um, and he risked his, you know, life basically to go do, do those projections. Um, so I, I've done a few, a few um, pieces with him. I do um, kind of more soundtrack work and I've done some performing with him, but he's another local person that I love. And um, we're, we're, trying to drum up we're trying to figure out what we're going to do next um so yeah that's uh, right now i'm just kind of like um trying to get back into it i haven't done a, I really have not done a show since the lockdown i was supposed to do a, a solo performance at rhizome that unfortunately got rained out so i'm going to try that's supposed to get rescheduled okay. um so that's probably all i have to report hopefully there'll be more coming yeah, right on. I, I will look up uh, a bunch of that stuff and try to put it in the show notes. And if there are any particular links you want me to share with listeners, uh, feel free to send those my way and I'll cool. 
I'll put those links in, and if that uh, if the mystery project comes to fruition soon, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can I'll share it in the in the Facebook group. Uh, that, Absolutely, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah. I should have probably asked him if it's okay if I talk about it, but I just just to be safe, I probably won't say anything now. Yeah. But, I'm I'm um, I'm open to retroactive plugs if if you feel cool. Like. <laughs> I'll do that because yeah, I'm pretty excited about it, um, and I think your your listeners would be. So it's funny. I just was thinking about <laughs> what I was doing musically before the. The shutdown, but actually, I was actually um, playing some shows with with Joe Lally, some so- Joe solo shows as well. I play on his record, and we were actually gearing up to start really doing more, and that got sort of squashed as well. But um, yeah, it's obviously it's, but it's something that has not started back up again. So I probably didn't really need to bring it up, but it was, you know, it just, you know, again, I mean, I don't it's it's it was such a difficult time and still is for so many people so to say oh i was starting to really do a lot of music and this ruined it i don't want to sound like i'm complaining um well it's something to look forward to right but there was a lot going on and i was like i had shows booked and so you know like a lot of people it's kind of like all right well that's gone what do we do now um but yeah there'll be there'll be more coming Okay. Can't wait for that, man. Thank you so much yeah. again for joining me. Thank you, Ian. It was a great discussion. As I alluded to, that Facebook group uh, for listeners, if you want to join, is called The Alphabetical Fugazi, and that's the place where I just sort of collate people's uh, opinions about songs that we're talking about coming up. And for anyone who wants to email me, it's fugaziatoz at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing styrofoam. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is